0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of this evening. Lord, I thank you for the gift of each person that is present here. Lord, I thank you for the (sighs) truths. That would totally happen. Thank you, Jesus, for technology. Thank you for whatever this projector is doing right now. Um, Thank you, Jesus, for joy and laughter. Lord, thank you for the ways—we're just going to all ignore the technology because it's a distraction anyway—thank you for the ways that you have created woman's body. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of fertility. Thank you that you have allowed man and woman to be co-creators with you. Lord, thank you that you have given us the tools to know and to come to understand the language that our bodies speak. And Lord, we ask that you would just give us the grace to allow our freedom to be in service to love and to be in service to you. As we say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so tonight we have one hour, um, which is what we always have. If you've come to any talk that I've ever given, you know that the more passionate and excited I am about something, the harder it is for me to stop talking. So um, my goal is to keep this to an hour and I will, but because of that, there's a lot that we could say in a short amount of time. And I'm gonna try and do it in such a way that it is accessible to you. Um, You're all smart people and you can all receive this information, but it is gonna be a lot of information. And I do wanna just challenge you to not get so focused on all the nitty gritty details, but if something sticks out to you, um, to hold on to that and to know that I'm gonna do my best to explain it to you, but don't let this overwhelm you. If you start to get overwhelmed, I'm serious, just take a deep breath and then tune back in, okay? Because whatever you're here for tonight, whether it's for you, I think it's for each of you and also things for people that you love, Um, And some of you might feel challenged by this. Some of you might be frustrated with this. All that's okay. What I'm offering this to you is here's, I'm going to give you some truth that I have learned. um, And I hope that you would actually continue to maybe do some of your own research and to find out more about just the gift of how God created man and woman, but especially woman and the gift of her fertility. Um, I know that at the end, I'm probably going to come real strong. So before I forget to say the resources, because that's what you really need to go on your own, just so that you know on page five and page... Six and page seven. Here's sources of journal articles and resources like books, um, podcasts, websites. Um, I want to take your attention to specifically um, a website that I really like. Um, it's the last website listed. It's called Natural Womanhood. And it has a lot of um, good information just on like blogs um, of men, of women who are interested in fertility awareness models, or um, actually there's a good number of parents who have maybe lost their daughters because their daughters were on different forms of hormonal contraception and suffered a stroke or um, a heart attack at a really young age. Um, So you can read more about that, these actual real-life stories on that. Um, In the blog post, podcasts, kind of shameless plug, but I have this blog that literally haven't written anything on it since August, but the last one is the blog post that I have there. It's um, I titled it, No, You're Not Crazy, and it's specifically um, for women to start to help themselves to chart their PMS symptoms. So I have a free, like it's free, PMS symptom chart that someone smarter than me created, and I'm just attaching it there. But it's super helpful if you want to start to monitor symptoms that you have so that you can start to come to know like what's consistently happening within your body, and that way you can communicate that with your doctor if necessary, but also just for yourself to know. Um, and then under that, um, Daughter Arise is a radio show that I have with a good friend of mine. In this particular season, it started, I think this week, this particular season just happened to be very much focused on women's health. So I wanted to encourage you to listen to that. If you can, it turns into podcasts. Um, and the podcast, you can get the link on iTunes or on my blog. And underneath that, um, if you are a woman in this room or if you are a man and good friends with a woman in this room, that would be a rightly timed and that has to be a certain kind of a conversation. um, I highly recommend and encourage and maybe even challenge you to consider getting a free app on your phone. My goal is that all of you in the room at some point in this talk think, huh, I would like to know more about how my body actually works. The first step for that would be to in some way start charting your cycle. And I've listed four apps that are free on this piece of paper, the last thing that's listed. And then I listed for you the important things for you to note. So like, how long is your cycle? How long is your period? What is your period like? Um, your cervical mucus, things like that. So. We're about to just get into a bunch of information, and at the end of the talk, you're gonna be glazed over probably in certain ways, and you're not gonna to wanna to hear about the resources, so that's why I told you them first. And then you can remember, and like, tomorrow you be like, oh yeah, I wanna know more. Oh, and now I know where to go. Cool, okay. So, to begin, why am I here talking to you about women's fertility? Um, because I think about this like all the time but why do I do that and it's somehow normal? Well, my answer to you would be that this is the gift of what the Lord has given to me and this is my, part of my unique story. Um, this particular talk I find interesting because also giving it now, I can give it to you in a way presently at 30 years old that when I was 20 years old, 10 years ago, I couldn't have possibly given this talk. Um, I do remember 10 years ago though, I went to the doctor because um, like many women in the room, you probably have had issues with your cycle and you have questions about it. And I think I was having um, certain pains. And so and it got pretty bad. And so I went to the doctor. And he told me, I remember being in his office. He did like a pelvic exam. And then he you know, talked to me about some things. And I was like, okay, well, we can put you on the pill. And I was like, but I don't want to go on the pill. He was like, okay, well, then you can just take Tylenol. Like, that's your option. And I remember being like... Well, I didn't say this out loud, but I just remember thinking something was wrong. Being like, well, that's stupid. Like, it made me frustrated. But I didn't have the tools to communicate with him or even myself know why I was frustrated, right? And why did I tell him I didn't want to get on the pill? Honestly, I can't remember, but I think my sense is that I was a 20-year-old studying theology. And for me, the words the pill just meant like, ooh, bad. Something's bad. And part of why I think I was inspired to do this talk is that people ask me all the time, um, about the pill, because there's a fear related to the morality of it, right? And so, what does the church teach? The church teaches that within marriage, or without, outside of marriage, that contraception is wrong, okay? Um, because it it divorces the unitive and the procreative aspect of marriage. Now, that one statement I could talk to you about for hours. And what I'm trying to do in this talk is not talk about that, because. We're just going to go off, not on a tangent, that's unimportant, but I think a talk that's for another time. So this is where another shameless plug. If you want to hear more about that, I talked about it in October. In the Theology of the Body series, it was talk four. It was October 25th. Go on the app, I'm really serious, the CTK app, and listen to it. That's going to give you the ethical, moral foundation of why the church teaches what she does about contraception um, and natural family planning and fertility awareness, okay? And it comes down to a question of love and offering ourselves freely as we were created in and through the gift of our bodies and our fertility, not being afraid of that um, or having to manipulate that or whatever. Um, so here we are. Um, currently, I am working on my uh, doctorate in bioethics, and my focus is women's health. So the reason why I have all this information at my fingertips is because I read about it and almost dream about it and, you know, I don't eat it, but it feels like that sometimes because I have to do it for my research. (laughs) Last night I was falling asleep and I was thinking of all these connections and research articles and I was like, no, no, this can't can't work, I gotta go to bed, like stop, turn off brain. Um, But also what happened after I went to this doctor visit I talked about when I was in college, uh, one of my dear friends called me and he said, Sarah, I know what you're supposed to do with the rest of your life. And I was like, wow, well that's great what is it? Because I want to know what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life. And we're actually really good friends. And I was like, his name is Dominic. I was really curious. I was like, Dominic, what could you possibly have to tell me? And he was like, I went to mass this morning. He was like in, I don't know, South Carolina or something. He's like, I went to mass. And then this woman was talking to me after. And then she found out what I was studying. And then she told me to come through to this conference. And it's this conference about this thing called Creighton model. And I was like, what is that? So then for the next like two hours, we talked about Creighton model, which is um, a method of fertility awareness started by a doctor, Dr. Thomas Hilders, and I'll show you some slides later related to that. But when he said, this is medicine's response to theology of the body, I was hooked. And I was like, okay, dang it, Dominic's probably right. I don't even know what that means, but like, this is something I want to do. And I knew that it wasn't the time for me to teach it, but I felt in some way that I wanted to learn it. And so that's why I started charting. Um, like the next week, this woman who runs Women's New Life Center texts me. she's like, "Hey, do you want to start charting? We have a, an intro session going on. We need some people to come. I'd love if you come?" And I'm like, "Yes." And then I saw a slide that I'll show you later, and I was like, I literally think I audibly responded in the middle of this presentation, which was slightly embarrassing. I was like, "Wow." And I was like, mm. <laughs> But because I was amazed at the way that our bodies as women work, and I had no idea. At all. So fast forward four years later, which was 2013, I started training as a practitioner for um, Create Model, um, which meant that I started to train as someone who teaches um, women and couples how to chart their cycles. And it's been quite the adventure ever since. Um, And so today, now I'm sitting in front of you, and I'm looking at you, and, man, I was, like, so excited for this talk. I kind of had to calm down. And so... I wanna to give to you, each of you, I think you're gonna get a piece and several pieces of something and it's gonna make you think and if it makes you uncomfortable, that's okay. But don't walk away from tonight and not continue further on with this question. This is an important question, not just if you're a woman, this is for men and for women. This is us coming to understand, do we really know, you don't have to know the ins and outs, every single facet of how the human body works, but do you know you? Like, do you know what your own body is saying? Can you learn, which you all can, to read the signs of what your body's saying? So, um, quick question to kind of illuminate the crowd. Uh, If I were to ask you, which you don't really have to raise your hand, women, but if I were to ask the women in the room, like, do you know when you last ovulated? I wonder how many in the room could actually answer me. And I'm gonna probably argue that very few, if not maybe none of you, Like, when did you ovulate? Now, most of you maybe can answer my question if I said, when did you last have your period? And the good thing about the apps is that's sort of the first step, right? Is like, when did I last have my period? And you can know that. Because that's like the most common thing that women seem to remember, that's why when you're working and you're trying to date a pregnancy, that's why they just assume ovulation happens on day 14 and they assume that and when you conceived based on asking you when you last had your period. Um, Now, if you want to know if men and women are different, for me, it's very simple. If I go in to have a surgery right now, most medical surgeries, they're going to make me take a pregnancy test. If a guy my same age with the same injury, like my ACL surgery I had a year and a half ago, if he goes in, they're not going to make him take a pregnancy test. Why? Because he can't possibly be pregnant. Right? Okay, cool. So, that's simple. So, men and women are different. So, now, if I'm looking at the difference, um, in a very beautiful way, we can say that women are complex. And, you know, we can make jokes about that, like, ha women are complicated. But, like, I mean that in a really beautiful way. There's, there's a symphony of sorts that's going on in your body. And your hormones are communicating with each other. And there's a lot of them. And we're going to talk about a few of them. But just so that you know that there's something really deep going on. And if you look at the notes, I'm going to start with the bad news first. To kind of illuminate the reality. And then we'll get to the good news, I think. So... From the last talk that I gave, um, which I recommend if you haven't gotten to listen to it, but before we talked about the struggle with um, women in crisis pregnancies. Now we're sh- talking about the struggle that comes kind of before that, just women knowing their fertility. And same thing, that quote from Dostoevsky, it says, man is a mystery. It needs to be unraveled. And if you spend your whole life unraveling it, don't say that you've wasted time. I'm studying that mystery because I want to be a human being. I offer that to you because I'm saying don't be afraid of the mysteries that you face sometimes. The difference between this talk and the last talk is that I'm about to throw at you a lot of scientific data because we human beings really love to have data, and the gift of science is that we can look at things and verify information. So let's jump into the data. First point. In bold. About 104 million women worldwide use oral contraceptives. 104 million. That's A lot of people, right? The CDC, um, speaking about pregnancy, specifically unplanned pregnancy, it's always spoken about it as if it's a risk. We talk about everything with contraception because we're trying to prevent an unplanned pregnancy, the risk of a woman getting an unplanned pregnancy, as if I can catch it, like I catch the common cold or like I catch an infection, right? Can you just catch a pregnancy, right? The stork doesn't just drop off the baby and you catch it, right? There's a way that these things happen. I'm simplifying it, but you get the point. This is something that's different. And so what we're gonna look at is that we are looking at the reality that the medical community um, commonly, at this point in time, they are treating fertility and the potential for pregnancy as if it is a disease. This might be the only thing in the medical field that we're giving a medicine to shut down a system and make it stop doing what it's supposed to be doing. Do you understand? Usually a medicine is to alleviate an issue, to help cure an infection. What about my body, as a woman cycling, is an infection or is a disease? It's not, right? But if we can change the lingo a little bit, because we have other ends in mind, then we can say that we wanna prevent disease. Um, so just off the bat, you can see some of the erroneous thinking, but let's get to the science. And there was more, I just didn't have the time in this talk to go through every single risk and go through everything, every single study with you, but let's look at the, the top ones, breast cancer risk. So breast cancer is the most common female cancer in the US and worldwide. And you can follow along on the notes. There's a 20% higher risk among women who are currently using or had recently used hormonal contraceptives than among those who had never used them, and the risk increased with a longer duration of use. There's an increased risk if you use this for greater than or equal to, like at least five years. Um, This is an important note. Um, It seemed to remain increased for at least five years after discontinuation, but especially for this age group. There was a suggestion that initiation of use of hormonal contraceptions before the age of 20 may be associated with enhanced risks of breast cancer, especially with long durations of use, although the risk estimates were imprecise. so They need to do more studies. This particular study um, focused on more recent formulations of oral contraceptives, and that was important because they've done, they had done studies on like, what they call the first-generation pill or the second-generation pill, and what they were doing is they would lower the dose of estrogen, so think about the pill as a combination of estrogen and progesterone. But it's not bioidentical to the hormones that my body produces as a woman. It's created in the lab, and if you look at the molecular structure, it's different. So they put this pill together, um, and because they see bad things happening, they're trying to lower the dose of estrogen so that they can lessen this risk. But they're doing it at the same time they're trying to keep and hold the, what they call the efficacy of preventing an unplanned pregnancy. Um, so the goal is the same. This isn't like, I want to help the woman feel better. This is like, I want to help prevent a baby, okay? Um, the association between the current use of oral contraceptives and breast cancer is well-established. And the reality is that a small increase in the relative risk, it's a lot of statistical language, but it's much larger increase in the absolute risk because this is the most common type of cancer. And this is another fun, interesting fact, I think, is that a woman, until she has reached 32 weeks of her first pregnancy, there are certain breast cells that have, they have not fully matured. When she reaches that, there's like this protective effect that these cells can have against carcinogenic chemicals. But until she reaches that, she doesn't have that protective effect because her cells haven't matured. Which means, what is most of the population having to experience? Most girls in high school go to the doctor because of anything, like acne, or a headache, or painful periods, or potentially having cysts, or I just don't really know what's going on in my periods, kind of irregular. And they give them p- the pill, right? Not all, but most. And if, I mean, if you're comfortable with it, I could ask, like, Who in this room has been offered the pill? It's not a judgment if you take it or not, but who's at least been offered the pill at some point in time when they go to the doctor? Okay. Almost every woman in the room, right? Now, by the same show of hands, have any of you ever been offered to, like, be taught how your body actually works, that you understand about hormonal imbalances that could be happening in your system? Good. There's some. There's hope, right? I digress, we'll get to that cool stuff in a minute. The point is, it's handed out like candy. But again, the question, is it fixing an underlying problem? The answer is no, okay? The answer is it's shutting down the reproductive system. It's completely blocking communication between the woman's ovaries and the woman's brain. Think about that, if you block someone on your phone, that's a pretty big deal, you have to have a really good reason, right? Okay, Why do we walk around and we're like within a woman's body telling her we should block communication? And think about it. A woman's reproductive system, it's not an isolated system. And this is the thing within medicine that I see the pendulum kind of swinging back and I hope it continues to. And this doctor I really like, her name's Pilar Vigil and she does a lot of research. But she says, like the doctors have to start, we have all these subspecialties. They have to start talking to each other again and communicating. And we'll talk more about that. Um, But if you are ever considering taking the pill or you have people you love that are on the pill, your family history is really important. Do you have a genetic influence that could um, lean you towards even more so getting breast cancer? Um, And have you ever been pregnant? Because like I talked about the cells, if they're not mature yet, that does affect things. So like that doctor that I went to, I don't remember him saying like, oh, but you know, uh, your great grandmother, your grandmother, your aunt who has triple negative breast cancer, your mom's cousin, your mom's other cousin, like all these women on your mom's side have breast cancer, maybe this isn't a good option. That's not what he said. All he said was this or Tylenol, right? Which is kind of frustrating if you think about it, but moving on. The second most common cancer is actually cervical cancer. Um, And so one study suggests that a woman's cervix, so this is the base of her uterus, This matures faster the way that the cells grow when they're on oral contraceptive pills, meaning that the cells potentially increase her vulnerability to um, HPV. And so this infection, not every woman that gets the HPV infection, human papillomavirus, is going to get cervical cancer, but it is typically, it can be a gateway. Um, Never users of contraception have a significantly lower rate of getting cervical cancer. But think about this. Turn on the TV. You were bound to see a commercial for the HPV vaccine. We are multiplying medicines here. So on the same doctor's visit, you're gonna give me a pill that could increase my chances of obtaining this infection that could potentially lead to cervical cancer, and then you're gonna help me and give me a vaccine. It sounds a little schizophrenic to me, respectfully I use that word, but you know what I mean. Like there's something split there. There's something that we're not seeing there. Um, another risk, uh, VTE, which is venous thromboembolism, a.k.a. blood clots, in the, the deep veins of your legs, your arms, the groin area. It can travel to your lungs, your brain, things like that. There's an increased risk that's been demonstrated in users of combined hormonal contraceptives containing ethanol estradiol. So this is what they use in the pill and other things. Um, like I said before, they've lowered the dose, but the type of progestin they think also actually can be another factor related to VTE, especially in women of reproductive age, obviously. Um... If you have experienced any superficial superficial venous thrombosis before, or if you have a, some kind of genetic predisposition or a thrombotic risk factor, you are more likely to experience something like this. Now, the testing to determine if you have this is expensive, and you know when they do the testing? They usually do the testing when you're in the hospital with a blood clot to determine if you have the genetic risk factor. Does that make sense? Like, if we're going to give it to her, we should probably figure it out before. But it's expensive. I am not, like, anti-medicine or, like, think it's a machine or, like, this, like, you know, like, conspiracy theorist. But I do think we have a problem. <laughs> so that's why I'm giving this talk. Um, psychological effects. This, I think, is so fascinating. Okay. So the human brain experiences organizational and activational changes during puberty and adolescence. We are very used to hearing about the brain organizing and growing and how vulnerable we are in utero, right? right? Which is true, right? A child growing in the womb is very vulnerable. But now they're finding these studies that in adolescence, so too in that time period is a woman's brain, physically the structure and the central nervous system very vulnerable to these chemicals that we can find in contraception. Um, neuroplasticity. So the sex steroids and other compounds structurally remodel the circuits. Think about it. These circuits determine behavior responses to hormones or sensory stimuli in adulthood. You're programming your brain in some way. I'm going to say this again later, but what that means is that a woman on hormonal contraception, her body is not cycling like she would be if she were not on hormonal contraception. A normally cycling woman, if her hormones are cycling the way they're supposed to, that's going to affect healthily the structure of her brain and how it grows, the size, the communication, the, everything communicating, and that stimuli of those chemicals then you, will affect her behavior. But if her entire adolescent period of life, if she's growing, when her brain is growing, she's not even allowed to cycle and she just has this sort of freeze-frame hormonal experience, then she's going to react the same way in adulthood to stimuli that she would be doing in adolescence, but without ever being given the chance for it to grow the way that a normal cycling woman's brain should grow. Does that make a little bit of sense? Okay. Neuronal pruning, so they also, this is where the brain eliminates unwanted connections and solidifies brain circuitry. That's affected because the point is, everything is affected by the chemicals that are present within her body. She either has the chemicals in her body, like off of birth control, the sex steroid, the ebb and flow of the estrogen and the progesterone, or, which I'll show you in a slide soon, she'll have not an ebb and flow, but just a straight line shot of something, and it's just kind of freeze frames there, right? And her body reacts to that, but it's not allowed to grow in the way that it normally would if it had a normal cycle and the fluctuation of these hormones. Um, Sexual dimorphism is also affected by the sex hormones. So not only the brain structure, but also cognition and function. They found in these tests, um, even cognitive tests were affected, like women on hormonal contraception actually started to answer certain cognitive questions in what they would call typically male response in terms of analytical stuff and math um, than women who are not on contraception. Um, and emotional memory, a woman's ability to process trauma, it appeared different for the women who were on contraception for the young women that were not on contraception. Um, and they also did a scan and in the scan, I think I might've put it in here, but with the scan that they did on the woman's brain, um, the size of, like, the prefrontal lobe, all these things, it was larger than a woman who would not have been in hormonal contraception. So, like, we're talking structure. We're also talking long-term behavior, which is a big deal, right? Um, This is a really long quote, but I'm going to pull something out. Um, Basically, it's saying that teenage girls, their brains are undergoing a process of remodeling by the action of sex steroids. So this is important. We believe that the scientific community has not devoted enough effort to studying the effects of exogenous steroids on their users' brain development. These hormones are probably triggering permanent organizational changes in users' brains with consequences on their adult behavioral patterns, and such effects probably remain through life. And at the end, the latter, all these changes in the brain, the permanent circuitry, has several implications, both from an ethical point of view and from the perspective of pediatric medicine. We have to keep going. So, next part. (laughs) Class one carcinogen. In 2005, the World Health Organization did classify um, the combination of estrogen and progesterone that they use in the pill, Um, these hormones created in the lab. They... Classify them as a class one carcinogen, meaning it's the highest group or the highest class. The same class as like formaldehyde and asbestos, which you see all those commercials like for asbestos and poisoning and stuff, right? Um, so what is it saying? It's saying classified combined oral contraceptives are carcinogenic or cancerous, leading to cancer for humans. This conclusion was made on the basis of sufficient evidence of cervical cancer breast cancer in present users and recent users, and liver cancer in populations with a low frequency of hepatitis B infection. Before stating that the net public health outcome is beneficial, um, a rigorous analysis is needed to show this. And I'm gonna get to why that statement's important in a minute. Uh, I just want you to know that in another study under real conditions of use based on the numbers, even when they lowered it to the lowest estrogen that they've put into these pills, among 100,000 women using a combined oral contraceptive for one year, an estimated 33 will experience pulmonary embolism, 10 stroke, and 7 heart attack. Again, this is what we have to keep bringing it back to. Is this a medicine to cure a problem? Does she need to be taking this? Or are there other options? That's what I want you to think about. Is this the only option? Is this the best we can do? The answer is no. So oh, first we have to come to some kind of agreement, or I hope that you're starting to see like maybe this isn't the best option, and if this is like dang, that's really that's not so great. So, in short, what we just did was this is a cool picture with God and Eve, but to bring you to the point that there's a plan. What does the pill really do to a woman's body? It suppresses her ovaries, so the egg in the follicle is not allowed to develop. It changes cervical mucus. It also changes the lining of the uterus. Um, there are studies that can also point to it at times um, working as an abortifacient. In 1965, the, um, Academy, uh, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology redefined pregnancy as um, implantation instead of fertilization, which gives them like a seven to nine day window that if the baby can't implant, Right, then you lose the baby. But if they change the definition of pregnancy to be implantation, then for them it's not an abortion. You don't really lose the baby because it's not a baby till it implants. See how that works? Um, so, but there are studies that show that it can lead to abortion because of the mechanisms and how the pill works. Um, would you want to take this medicine? I mean, I mean maybe. But common side effects: increased irritability and depression, weight gain, nausea, dark spots on skin, headaches, prolonged infertility, difficulty with breastfeeding, increased blood pressure, increased risk of blood clot, stroke, heart attack and death, that's real, we just talked about it. Um, Now they're seeing it's a new thing, they're realizing the effect on the psychology and the central nervous system and even the circuitry in the brain. Um, Really what it comes down to is like, for some people, the question is, is this worth it? Like, is this worth your end goal? And what is your end goal? Um, When the pill was actually released for the FDA, they didn't market it originally as a contraceptive. It was there to help women with issues with their period. Um, And if you read the history of it, there was like four guys working in the FDA department or something, and they were really overworked, and they had all these submissions for this whatever medicines that that people had come up with. And so at a certain point, he's like, oh, give me this information. It comes across the desk again. He signs it off. It's approved. 1960. Boom. And here we are, with a lot of other things in between, obviously. But you get the point. Like, originally, they weren't even marketing it as a contraception. Now it's marketed as a contraception, but the way that I think we get under the radar is that people, I do think people, a lot of people, a lot of women, I don't even think it's a question of contraception, right? I'm going to argue that most adolescent women are on the pill or some form of hormonal contraception because they are tired of missing school because their periods are that bad, right? They're tired of missing work because they have an ovarian cyst and the pain is that bad, Or they're tired of feeling like they don't feel like themselves because maybe their PMS is that severe and they don't feel like emotionally they're able to hold everything together like they naturally at other times in the month can, right? We have to understand that there are valid reasons to understand why a woman would ask the question of, is this worth it? I wish I could do a study because I taught high school for a few years. I wish I could do a study on high schools across the country, how many women miss school, and then somehow point it back to if it's connected to their cycle, And I would argue that most absences, because I taught in all-girls Catholic high school, most absences were related to her cycle. Pain, couldn't get out of the bed, vomiting, PMS, whatever, right? And most of them, then they go to the doctor, and the doctor puts them on the pill. And they're like, well, what else can I do? Right? So, basic questions. If woman's fertility is a part of her, then the question is, what problem does the pill fix? Is fertility disease? We would say it's not, and that the pill again it manipulates the body and keeps it from doing what it's supposed to be doing. So we have to ask the question: Is like how do we get back to the root source of the problem of the issues that women are experiencing? And therefore, then I would argue that the pill or hormonal contraception it's really a band aid. They literally have a, a a word for it now. It's PBCS, post birth control syndrome, because now they're seeing all these women come into the doctor because they're off of the pill. And things kind of are coming back even more violently than they were before, and they're trying to regulate their bodies. And a lot of women go back on the pill because the doctors tell them, well, look, what happened when you got off? Get back on it. Right? I mean, this is like a real thing. So it's not that we sit here and we condemn medicine. It's that we say, okay, let's keep going further. Like, let's move forward. What can we do with what we now know? If you look back on the notes in the bottom of page two, it says... This is a definition for the World Health Organization. It's from like the 1940s, but it holds for them. It says, health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So what are some issues that we can find with this definition? Um, if you think about it in terms of the rights language, with rights language really get me fired up because if we use the word right, then it's almost like people feel like they can't say anything to you. Because if it's your right, then what can I do? Right? That was ironic. I didn't mean that like that. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Um, I read last week, I was reading something, and they were like, reproductive rights are equivalent to human rights. That made me mad. I don't think they're equivalent. A human right is a right to life. Right? That's a little bit different than, than when it comes to sexual pleasure and freedom and intimacy. You do have, I believe, a right to somehow be provided for your health, but so then we have to go back to what is health? This definition, basically anything goes. Like whatever makes a woman happy um, is fair game. In the medical field, and this is just, this isn't me, this is smarter people than me teaching me this. Um, Smarter people than I. When they, in the DSM, the Diagnostic Manual, right, for psychology and different things, and this is a sensitive issue, so I say this respectfully. But it used to be that if you go into a psychologist's office and you have a conversation about some sort of, like, disconnect with how a man or a woman views their body, then the, the job or the goal of the professional would be to help that person to see their body in line with reality, to see their experience and their thoughts in line with reality, to allow their body to also inform them. But now we're kind of moving away from that. And so if a five-year-old says, I'm a girl and he's genetically and physically a boy, then there are people arguing that he can then have a sex change operation, right? Because that's what will make him happy. And if we allow health to be whatever makes people happy, then health means it can be anything. But what if we can back up a little bit, and I'm still trying to find a really good definition, so all you medical professionals can help me find this, but an adequate definition that comes back to the the nature of like keeping medicine in its lane if that makes sense. Help it stay in its lane. That the doctor can provide for the patient within the means that he has, in the ways that he has studied, and then at a certain point the doctor can also say, I don't have all the answers, right? And I can't fix every problem. But that the doctor should be seeking to fix actual problems, not everything I just went through is something that creates more problems without ever going to the root cause of the issue. Um, So the rest of these things, you can kind of read, I don't want to keep reading to you because I want to get to some other things, but the the middle of page three, just so that you see this conclusion of this study, is that every single year um, in the US, because of what we, we have accepted, 300 to 400 healthy young women die per year because of the blood clots Um, because of the heart attacks. And this is them using the conservative estimate based on all the studies that they did. So they took like all these studies and then used the numbers based on the relative rate. This is through like 30, 40 years of studies. Current hormonal contraceptives carry a three to nine fold risk of the class that we talked about compared to non-users. And third generation contraceptives are about twice the risk of the other generations. Vaginal rings and patches carry a six to eight fold risk, so they're riskier. Um, obesity can double the risk compared to normal weight and use during the first year carries the greatest risk especially in women under age 30 where the risk increases 13 fold women should be made aware of these risks when choosing family planning and FABM so fertility awareness based methods should be made more accessible now sometimes people will look at these numbers and they're like oh yeah but that's small but if we're talking about millions of women on hormonal contraceptives then a low number of like risk translates to a lot of women. Hence, every year, what what they're saying is, let me translate it for you simply, 300 to 400 women are dying unnecessarily, unnecessarily. If they have an issue with their cycle, this is not their only option, right? And for your reading later at the top of the page, what it's saying is sometimes people like to hold up this fact that they see like, oh, well, it seems that this pill, this, these medicines, medicines they reduce the risk of ovarian, endometrial, and perhaps even colorectal cancer. But what people seem to forget is, guess what's at the top of the list, though? Breast cancer is the number one cancer. Cervical cancer is right under that. So they're trying to say, like, oh, well, this, it helps people to not get this kind of cancer. Those are the rarer cancers. Like, this still is increasing a deadly, deadly thing. And it's not the woman's only option if she has issues with her cycle. So the question comes back to um, two things. Is this safe and effective? Number one, it's not safe. Number two, um, we have to realize that a lot of time when they are saying this is safe, they're comparing it, so work with me here. They're comparing it to pregnancy. So a woman is at risk of blood clots um, and different things when she is pregnant. And the risk is, quote, higher than if she's on the pill. But but logically, I can't make a comparison between a woman on hormonal contraception and a woman who's pregnant. Logically, I have to make a comparison between a woman who's on hormonal contraception and a woman who's not on hormonal contraception, and that neither of them are pregnant. Right? Does that make sense? Because we have to see, like, with this medicine, is this safe? And if I'm comparing it, I have to compare her on it or not on it. I can't bring in this like third party thing, right? And what these doctors are trying to argue is that at some point would actually be helpful is if they do the studies, not just from comparing women who are not on hormonal contraception and women who are on hormonal contraception, but if they would start to do studies of women who are not on hormonal contraception, but are using fertility awareness-based models, with women who are on hormonal contraception because they're trying to argue that these women are starting to learn how their bodies work. So when they see something off with their cycle, they go to the doctor, they go to the root cause of the issue, and then they're able to deal with those problems. So that, this is the question I really wanna get to, that is what I would call preventative medicine, right? Hormonal contraception fails the test of it doesn't reduce this risk of disease. It just increases a woman's chances of getting different diseases. It's not really preventing something. But if you can give a woman the tools she needs to learn how her body works and to then be able to communicate with her doctor in some capacity, then together they can go to the root cause of the issue. And this is the key word. They can help restore her reproductive integrity. Restore it instead of masking it or manipulating it. So we're talking about two different worlds. So if you look at page four, these are the two different worlds. At the top, this is the two main hormones, right? Estrogen E, progesterone P. Um, it's showing a cycle with no ovarian activity, meaning a woman's not ovulating. Underneath that, it's showing in-ovulatory, meaning not ovulating, no egg is released, um, with fluctuating estrogen levels. So you can see the squiggly line. Underneath that, cycles with anovulatory ovarian activity with constantly increased estrogen levels, hence those, the lines higher. Another one cycles with a luteinized, unruptured follicle. Another one cycles with ovulation followed by a deficient luteal phase. It's okay if you don't understand all this. The one you really need to look at is F. Ovulatory cycles with adequate luteal phases. This is a healthy woman with a healthy cycle that's shown to us not just by her ovulation but by the levels of her hormones. Um, Underneath... Just for the sake of your comparing, this is what it looks like when a woman is on hormonal contraception. Exogenous, so from out of the body, exogenous hormone administration. The top is the pill, the ring, the patch, or intramuscular things. Um, Underneath, um, only progesterone, so they might have an implant. They might take a pill that's just progesterone. And underneath, this is also, this is for like women who are menopausal hormone therapy, which is also class one carcinogen. Same article you can read from 2005. What do you notice about the three on the bottom and the other ones on the top? Specifically F. Do they look anything alike? No. F is healthy. The other ones are not, meaning the three underneath especially is what I want to show you. But here's the deal. If a woman comes to a doctor and she has anything even above F, A through E, if a doctor is able to look at whatever she's charting, what she's able to show these biomarkers, right? Right? They can have a conversation, he can do what's called a hormone profile. He can order blood work to see where she is in her cycle when she's there, based on certain days, based on certain parameters. Here, the three on the bottom, how do I even know if a woman's having an issue with her cycle? I don't, because she doesn't have a cycle. I'm just masking it. So let's say she's on the pill from 15 to 29. She gets married at 29, she's so excited. She wants to have a baby, she gets off the pill. Oh, wait, why'd she get on the pill at 15? Oh, wait, she's been on it for a long time. Remember all these things we said about increased risk with duration of use, right? So we can't just guarantee that just because she gets off the pill, her body's going to go back to F. It probably wasn't on F in the first place is why she wanted to get on the pill, right? But a doctor can work with these things on top because she's allowing her body to naturally cycle in some way. Um, okay, so... Away from the notes for a second. I made slides for the purpose of showing you something visual. Um, these are really cool people. Their names are Dr. John and Evelyn Billings. Um, and they talked to women who were not from first world countries. And they realized, um, they used to say something like, if when you wipe it is wet, then a baby you will get. So like when a woman went to the bathroom and if she had a certain discharge, she, like, they just knew that she was fertile. It's actually proven there's been studies done that first world country, like literate, literate as in Ken Reed, women, us, we have a very hard time, like, we have a a harder time doing these kinds of things where we pay attention to our bodies because we're really used to this. Well, this will just tell me, right? This will just tell me, like, what I need to know. Which is why when I encourage you to use the app, what I don't want you to do is use the app and then don't understand what it means. Like, talk to someone, talk to people that know what this is. If you're going to use the app, Speak with your doctor about it if you can too because it's not just letting a machine tell you if you're fertile or not. It's for you to recognize the signs that even without the machine, you can know if you're fertile or not. Hey, you can do this, by the way. And I challenge you to this because knowing your body is a part of knowing you. Knowing you is a part of knowing the gift that you are which gives you the fuller capacity to then offer the gift. You possess the gift of yourself and you can offer it more fully to whomever that's meant for. And in different ways, like the whole world that you're meant to offer yourself as a gift. Knowledge truly is empowerment. This is like adequate, authentic knowledge, right? And you are smart enough for this. Um, So what does authentic healthcare look like? Well, I think it would come back to serving the dignity of the human person and giving women the tools that they need to understand their bodies. So the thing is right now, medicine that they're finding is that a lot of women base their health on their menstrual cycle, specifically their period. Like, well, what did it look like when I bled? Was it this? What's the qualities? And so then they diagnose things based on that. But sort of the new part of the research that's coming out is the sign of health is actually ovulation. And you need to be given the signs. But women, it's harder, because we weren't really given the tools and we learned this stuff in sex ed. If you got that class, I missed it, which is hysterical now that I teach this stuff. But here we are um ovulation is actually the sign of health because those five or six ones that i showed you before with the different hormones whether she's ovulating or not ovulating it depends on where she is in what we call the ovarian continuum a little baby girl in utero she shouldn't be ovulating that's healthy but she has all the eggs that she needs by a certain point that she'll have for the rest of her life that's fascinating a girl before puberty she's not ovulating that's healthy a girl hits puberty as an adolescence, she's ovulating, that's healthy. A woman of reproductive age who is not ovulating, is that healthy or unhealthy? Well, it depends. How old is she? Is she pregnant? If she's pregnant, that's healthy that she's not ovulating, right? If she's not pregnant and she's not ovulating, there's something wrong. What if she's like reaching menopause and she, her cycles are off? Well, it's part of the ovarian continuum. But if we can know and understand our bodies as young women, we can come to understand the signs, the biomarkers that our body is teaching us, that allows you to stay healthy so that even when you go through menopause, you've now learned all these things, and they're seeing these things with hormone therapy. You know what it means to even have a biomarker. Um, and if you can sustain and support your endocrine health, then like, that's also something that's going to help prevent something like osteoporosis, right? Which is affected by estrogen. So... Everything's connected. And this, like a woman goes to a doctor, and this is what I mean by it's kind of split. An OBGYN, well, she's not ovulating. Most of them are gonna say, put her on the pill. Or she's having pain, put her on the pill. Well, what if it's a thyroid issue? The endocrinologist might be able to talk about that. But what if she goes to the dermatologist first because of the acne? Well, then they might even have a conversation about the pill, but she'll probably have to get on the pill because they're going to give her those strong medicines to take away the acne. But it's actually connected to the production of our hormones, which are connected to our reproductive system. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, doctors have to start communicating. I respectfully say that to all the doctors in the room. But doctors have to start communicating, right? I point at them because they're awesome and they're actually doing this stuff more than I am. But this is the gift that we have. Like, I challenge you to find a doctor who will communicate with you, ladies and men, any women that you love, about how your body actually works. I can't spend all the time on this because I have literally like 10 minutes left, but here's your crash course in a woman's reproductive system. All of this stuff, this is the way that it was intended, and it's different than men, but here's the reality. The eggs, right, hundreds of thousands of undeveloped eggs are in the ovary. Each month, one comes out, that's called ovulation. It's caught up in the fimbria, it travels in the fallopian tube and then if and when fertilization occurs, right, the sperm's going to come here, and they're going to meet in the fallopian tube. That's conception, fertilization, we consider that to be a new human life. It travels for seven to nine days, then it finds a really healthy, wonderful, warm, cozy place to implant called the uterus. It makes a home, and it grows, and develops, and then nine months later, it comes out, and it's a baby, right? Except it's been a baby the whole time, just, you know, we're working with the culture. So... Here, you see how thick this is? This is a muscle. So when a woman experiences menstrual cramps, she's not like making that up. Like it's a muscle and it's contracting and relaxing, right? Labor contracting and relaxing. It's a thick muscle. Um, Whatever's here, this tissue that's here, that, that lining, the endometrium, when a woman has her period, what that is, is the sloughing off of this tissue. And it comes through the base, here's the vagina, it comes out and then she has it on a pad, on a tampon, whatever. If we wanna talk about women's rights, how about we start supplying third world countries with like adequate hygiene supplies, like pads and tampons instead of like just shipping over whatever IUDs that don't work for American women. I'm gonna get off the soapbox because I don't have time. But the cervix, right, this is a really important organ When you go to the doctor and you get a pap smear, they're gonna take a little sample from the base of the cervix. The cervix is so cool, y'all. I know that sounds so weird, but the cervix is so cool because the cervix produced something called cervical mucus. And this is where I really, like if you remember anything, I told you all the bad stuff, here's the good news. Every woman was created with this gift. Women's rights and freedom, it's not about squashing men because they're horrible, no. It's about standing up on the truth of the dignity of who you are as a woman, which is equal but different than a man. Equality does not mean sameness. We don't have to fight to become like men, right? Our power is in remaining who we are. Who we are. What's happening in the ovary, just to give you kind of a freeze frame, this is over one month, right? One cycle, I should say, because your cycle could be longer than a month. But here's the undeveloped aches. So the pituitary gland communicates, here's the beautiful symphony, follicle-stimulating hormone, which does what? Stimulates the follicles to grow. Within one of these follicles, there's the egg. When it's mature, the egg comes out of the ovary. That leftover follicle is really important. It's called the corpus luteum because it produces the second main hormone, which is going to be your progesterone. So this is largely, right, ovulation is going to happen right after there's a peak in the estrogen. That's the communication factor that says release the egg. And then this is gonna have the progesterone. And what's happening is that all at the same time, cause you know what, you're complex and you're basically all wonder women because this is what your body's doing all the time and it's really cool. The whole thing is happening at the same time that as this is happening in the ovary, this is happening with the uterus. With the beginning day one of your cycle is always the first day of bleeding, the first day of your period, sloughing off of that tissue. And then what's happening? Again, every single cycle, your body is building up something so that if and when a life should occur, it has the healthiest, most hospitable environment in which it can thrive, right? So the estrogen proliferating phase, right? So this is the follicular phase. This is when it's gonna build up the lining of the uterus. And then afterward, the progesterone, they call it the secretory phase. It's when it's gonna secrete really nutrient dense liquids. Again, all this if and when there's a conception and baby implants that it has the healthiest, most hospitable environment. But what if there's no baby? Progesterone's gonna drop off and then she's gonna have her period. And it starts again. This is healthy, this is like really good. Because of the nature of the culture, we think that our fertility is a burden, it's a disease. It is not a disease. We have to flip our thinking, and this may take a while. This is actually healthy. And just so you know, when they made the pill originally, there was no bleeding that happened. But they were testing it on women who were struggling with infertility because they weren't bleeding, because if a woman, quote, misses her period, she doesn't get her period, she doesn't get her period because she's pregnant, so the lining stays for nine months, right? These women were freaking out and telling these doctors they thought they must be pregnant, and the doctor was like, wait, they're not pregnant and they don't believe us, so we have to create something. So they did placebo pills. So the end of the pack of the birth control pill that the woman gets, it's like a week of placebo pills. So she gets a withdrawal bleed. It's not a real period. And it's not a healthy bleed. Because why? Because I showed you what it looks like when she's on contraception. Her hormones have not done this thing, this beautiful symphony, so her body has not built up this endometrium in a way that's healthy, so it's not a healthy sloughing off of the tissue. Does that make sense a little bit? It's a crash course. It's all happening at one time. This is what I want you to see. Oh, look, LSU colors. It's perfect. Um, Yellow for estrogen, purple for progesterone. They don't have numbers on the left usually because here's the other thing. Ladies, every single one of you in this room, your cycle tells a story. Literally, it tells a story. This is a part of your health like, blueprint. This is like your biological diary. This is important. You are worth coming to understand this and it's just like any language. You can understand this. It's about getting the tools to know what the alphabet is, what the words mean, right? This is this chart that in 2009, I freaked out about. On days when you are fertile, as a result of estrogen, this is the type of mucus that's produced. And a woman notices it when she wipes, when she goes to the bathroom, she sees it on the tissue. On days when she's infertile, this is the kind of mucus that's produced. This kind of mucus here, it comes out of the cervix. This is like hugely magnified. And so she sees it on the tissue. Here, it's like in the cervix, kind of working like a plug right? So here they say the biological valve is open. Here they say it's closed. Here, sperm not only can penetrate, but sperm is like, there's like a current. I'm not making this up. I help i swim in the right direction. Okay. Here, it's like a brick wall. Fertile, infertile. Simply put, if God wanted men and women to have babies every time they had sexual intercourse, well, he could have just made us fertile all the time and he didn't. Men are actually the ones that are fertile all the time. So there's the irony of why women are taking hormonal contraception if we're the only ones out of the two that are occasionally infertile. But again, not the soapbox. So together, and this is the gift within marriage, is together, a man and a woman, you come together. So this is also the man's responsibility. Men, if you were called to marriage, actually, I don't care what you're called to. If you're called to respect women, which you are, You don't have to go study this in detail, but especially if you're called to marriage when the time comes, I challenge you to pay attention. This is where I always wish I could play John Mayer's song, Your Body is a Wonderland, in the context of marriage. And I'm like, it's this? But like, it really is. God is real, you guys. Like, He's real. Your body does this, but you, different than any other female animal on the planet, is that you, with your freedom, get to choose who gets to receive this gift. It's sacred. It's not just for anyone. You get to choose to whom and when and how you offer the gift of yourself in and through your body because your body is part of you. That's a cool chart with Create and Model specifically. You can try with whatever fertility awareness model you want. This is the one that I love and use because of the medical understanding, which is this. The average chart of a woman who's naturally cycling, the black is the estrogen, the red is the progesterone. You know what this means because I just showed you. You know this. When she goes to the bathroom and she wipes, there's blood, obviously, red stamp. She's bleeding, period. Dry days have green stamps. Days of fertility have white babies and or green babies. That's more technical. It's easy to learn. But this is what this means. And you know what else this means? It means that it's medical health. Because guess what? If she has issues with her cycle, instead of when she's on the pill and it's a flat line, she's cycling. We see parameters. Your story can be different than your story, can be different than your story. That's okay. But are you falling within healthy parameters? And maybe it's not that the beginning of your cycle is unhealthy. Maybe there's something in the latter part, which means then they focus on the progesterone, okay? So all of this is connected because it's not, this is why I kind of wanted to throw out the ethics and contraception. I'm like, I'm just talking about the medical aspect here. You guys, this is the gift of a woman's cycle, and this is a gift of you learning how to read the signs of your body. Because if a woman came to me with a chart like this, well, I'll tell her to take a pregnancy test because she was trying to get pregnant. So other examples. This one, I've had, so I did this for like five years. If a woman came to me and presented and she had a number of, like, so it would fill in the stamps here, 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 and here. If I saw that consistently, well, actually I would refer her to Dr. Chasik if she was in Baton Rouge or refer her to another doctor, Dr. Caldwell in New Orleans, because this tells me that there's a pattern, there's a sign, there's something going on underneath and this does not fit the normal healthy pattern. And so then I say, the doctor's gonna see you and he's gonna do what he needs to do next for us to find out why is this going on? Because you have what we call a short luteal phase. And if she's trying to get pregnant, before she's even pregnant, I can say, hey, there's a higher risk for miscarriage here. Because if the progesterone is dropping, whatever's happening, you're not able to necessarily hold the pregnancy, right? It's about health. It's about the biological diary that working with people that can teach her the language can help her to see what the source of the issue is instead of just putting her on something that shuts it down and doesn't fix the problem. And this is an example of just different issues, infertility, miscarriage, similar to what you just saw, low progesterone, there's a lot of brown bleeding and extra bleeding and abnormal bleeding and sometimes that can be a sign that menopause is approaching, it can be a number of things. But I want you to see that there are options. I showed you in the beginning The bad news right these are two very different ways of dealing with one issue if there are hormonal abnormalities within a woman which can be related to her adrenals it can be related to her thyroid it can be related to her ovaries it can be related to whatever there's one way of dealing with it which is not really dealing with it right here's and this is the deal it's the easy way just take the pill and then maybe in 10 years we'll talk again when you change your mind Then there's the hard way, because this requires some sort of discipline, right? It does. But I would argue that you're worth the discipline. So, closing thoughts, as in I'm gonna read to you. These are the closing thoughts. There's like four of them, just to give you an idea. Number one, this is from Dr. Hilgers. He said, the entire profession of women's health and all that supports it has pushed forward with a philosophy of reproductive medicine that often does not establish a diagnosis does not treat the underlying diseases and supports cheap programs of treatment which carry with them various risks that ultimately make it more expensive various risks and realize that i didn't talk about the increase in depression the increase in suicide all those other things i didn't give you all the bad effects i just gave you some But my question for all of you is this, what if reproductive medicine turned a new corner and attempted to treat underlying issues that a woman is experiencing? What if health professionals were honest about the risks related to hormonal contraception and acknowledged that said risk is not mitigated or lessened by an option of preventing planned pregnancy that is not consistently effective? What if we could empower adolescent women by giving them the knowledge about how their bodies work so that they can make informed decisions related to their care? What if fertility was appreciated as a gift and women were taught how to work with their bodies instead of against their bodies? I put my name because it's like from my dissertation. That's kind of funny and weird, but that's my question. Now, about it being hard, two responses. Number one, from John Paul II. Y'all maybe saw me quickly go over the slide with this picture because he has to be in every presentation. He's the one that always says, don't give up hope, keep going. And he says this, do not be dismayed if love sometimes follows tortuous ways. Grace has the power to make straight the paths of human love. And I'm going to tell you that this is applying also, even if it's just love of self. Because only when we love ourselves can we truly know how to receive and then offer the gift of ourselves to another person. The next thing is from Jason Everett on John Paul II, his book, His Five Loves. He says, although the culture calls such sexual expression free love, so anything goes, it leads to the slavery of lust because it divorces freedom from truth and reduces love to self-gratification. Man has been endowed with an intellect, not merely to calculate the greatest possible pleasure that can be achieved, but more importantly, to discern what is truly good. He has been endowed with a free will, not to do whatever he pleases, but to make a gift of himself in love. For this reason, the Pope told the young people that their life has meaning to the extent that it becomes a free gift for others. John Paul exhorted people to overcome their fears, and not merely the fear of evil or persecution, but also the fear of who God is calling them to become. To fulfill their vocation to either the married or religious life, men and women cannot be afraid to follow Christ on the royal road of the cross." So before I read the last quote, what am I saying? I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, that you have an option here more than just what the culture is telling you that you can do. But the option is more difficult. It involves, for a woman, if she's charting, it means every time she goes to the bathroom, before and after, she has to turn around and look at the tissue. It only takes a few seconds. But habit building is hard. But if she can do that, she's going to open up a whole new world, all those charts I just showed you that are going to help her to speak a language, that her body has been speaking the whole time. She just wasn't given the tools yet to speak it. And then when she can speak it, she can communicate even more so with whoever her doctor is. And together, if there is an issue, they can solve the issue. Or if there's an issue that in some way, whatever, medicine maybe even can't solve it, they can be honest and they can know what's actually going on because she's worth the truth. But literally, it's that. It's every time you go to the bathroom, you pay attention and then you write it down. Where you put it on your app. And the things I put underneath there, that's the key. Bleeding, cervical mucus, how long is your cycle, that kind of stuff. Napro technology and Create and Model, awesome option. Fem is another awesome option, okay? Um, Billings, Family of the Americas, I put emails for both Family of the Americas and Create and Model on there. Um, we have a practitioner in the room besides me. There's Julie Barnett. Hey, Julie. Um, but I'm just telling you that there's people out there who want to help you to understand. And there are doctors who are way more knowledgeable about a lot of these things than I am, and they humbly want to offer the gift of their professional expertise and knowledge and real-life experience to men and women to, to find the truth about what's happening. Dr. Chasick's here. Brad Fossier, Dr. Fossier is here. Um... So cool to know these people. Um, Dr. Chastik, I called the other day. I was like, can you explain statistical analysis and relative risk and absolute risk? And I was swimming. And he was very kind and helpful. Um, So thank you both also for coming. Thank you, Julie, for being here. But I just want you to see that there's real people. It's not like I'm just telling you this stuff and it's fluffy. It's real. This is real. And you are worth it. And go do the research. Go look at the blog. Listen to the podcast. Find out more stuff that you want to know. And for every article you read that seems to deny everything I just said, you're going to find more, I promise, that's going to tell you that what I just said is true and that you're worth knowing that. And so for the last closing quote, it's just sort of as an encouragement for all the women in the room, a woman's dignity is closely connected with the love which she receives by the very reason of her femininity. It is likewise connected with the love which she gives in return. The truth about the person and about love is thus confirmed. Man, who is the only creature on earth that God willed for its own sake, cannot fully find himself except through a sincere gift of self. This applies to every human being as a person created in God's image, whether man or woman. Woman can only find herself by giving love to others. You are not just your fertility. You are not just your reproductive system. But I invite you to see that that is the centrality of something bigger, meaning like your whole person, and that your spirit and your body, your whole person, have a capacity to bring life into the world that's not better or worse than, but different than man, and it is a good, good thing. And I encourage you to come to understand that more. It's worth the challenge. Let's close in a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for all the truths that you've brought up. Um, Lord, I thank you for the ways that you are calling each of us to learn. Wherever we are in our journeys, Lord, help us to learn, especially to be able to see the gift that we have and how you have created us. Lord, I just praise you for the ways that you have made woman and man. And we give you all glory, Lord, for your goodness and for your providence. As we say, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, so, we have notes up here, if you didn't get them. Also, if you want slides or other things, Shelley said you can email her at espergola at ctklsu.org. Thank you, guys. Thank you.